Hello and welcome to Reading by Flashlight. I'm Allison and today we're going to be going over Daughter of the Deep, Rick Riordan's new book. We're going to be going over chapters 26 through 30. And if you haven't watched any of the previous episodes, I encourage you to go do that so you don't have any spoilers. But without further ado, let's get into the book. So we last left off where the crew makes their way to um, Harding Pencroft's base that's basically in the middle of nowhere. And so Anna goes to send the orcas to get Dr. Hewitt from the sick bay. And they're going to try to move him inside, but they're not sure if it's a good idea or not to because if this is an attack, then, you know, how are they going to get him out back out of there again? So they lead him through this sort of foyer, and there's a rubber welcome mat that says, Bless this mess. A rubber welcome mat? I've never seen one of those. Okay. And in this kind of shack, there's like dive masks, there's tanks, there's fins, spear guns, security cameras, like all the like material and equipment that they need kind of to go deep sea diving. And Barsanti, he goes, I have turned off the lasers, so they should not cut you in half. Please, go. What? So they start to go through the path where supposedly the lasers were turned off. And after about 100 feet, it kind of opens up into this big, like, rectangular space. And then there's more corridors branching off. And, I mean, it's huge. And there's a corner of the room that's kind of looks like a living room, living area kind of setup. And she sees that there's a tire swing that's hanging from the ceiling. And she's like, why is that there? Like, you'll find out, you'll find out. But, like, for the moment, she's kind of like just like, why is there a tire hanging from the ceiling? And she sees a woman with a magnificent mass of braided gray hair, like a heap of barbed wire. And so she's just sitting cross-legged on the floor and looking at a laptop. And then, you know, she gives Barsanti a guarded glance, and she says, should I vaporize them? And then Barsanti's like, no, no, they're very friendly, but I have to check the oven or Jupiter will kill me. Who's Jupiter? Like, seriously. And the woman, who looks very disappointed at this point, is like, fine, I won't shoot them to pieces. I won't blow them to pieces. Oh, no, we don't do that to people. And then he tells them that this is Ophelia and please make yourselves at home. So he leaves and then Ophelia rises and she's not a very tall person. So she's a short, and it looks like she wants to say something, but then she just scowls at Dr. Hewitt, who's still laying on a stretcher, and she mutters, you idiot, to herself, and she's like, come, no time to waste. So they all start to follow her, and then Ophelia's like, just the medics, please, the rest of you just wait here. And then Nalina starts to drift around, trying to, like, touch all the work tools and stuff like that, and then Ophelia yells back and says, touch nothing! And then she, like, jumps up. And the rest are just standing there. They're like, oh, what are we supposed to do now? And then Robbie Bear, I think he's the one that has all the allergy problem. He sneezes and he's like, well, she didn't say that we couldn't go look. So I'm going to check out the game consoles. And so they all kind of spread out. And I guess technically, yeah, they're not touching stuff. So they're not breaking the rule. So then Halema says something in Irish, I guess. And Anna answers with saying that I'm not sure, and they're all speaking in Irish now. And she says, they seem friendly enough. If they were with Land Institute, I think we'd know. So Helena had probably asked, is it, like, safe to look? Is it safe to, like, stay here, you know, like that, I guess? 
It says, then Robbie Barr does the unthinkable. He stops the video playing on the TV. And I'm going to read the last paragraph. It says, I guess he assumed the touch-nothing order didn't apply to entertainment options. As he rummages through the Blu-rays, an outraged howl erupts from one of the side corridors. A humanoid creature waddles into the room, flailing his furry orange arms. Oh my. It's an orangutan. And he is wearing a cooking apron decorated with smiley-faced daisies. The orangutan bears his fangs at Robbie, then turns in perfect... Says in perfectly clear American Sign Language, no turn off Mary Berry. So chapter 27 starts off with the sharks immediately reach for their guns to blast this orangutan to pieces, who is, by the way, wearing a smiley face daisy apron. And then Anna says, stand down. And she's like, thankfully, they listened. And then she's like, Robbie, put down the remote control and back away. And it says, not being an idiot, Robbie does so. I gesture at my friends to give the orange newcomer some space. So then the orangutan snatches up the remote and he turns on the program that was going before, which appears to be some sort of British people sweating over the creation of bread pudding. And then Anna goes towards the orangutan slowly and... She holds her hands out to show that they're empty. And then the orangutan doesn't seem concerned that he's surrounded by, like, a bunch of armed human beings. He's not bigger than five feet, but he's still, like, impressive and scary looking to them. And he's got very big teeth. And the name Jupiter is stitched onto his smiley daisy uniform. And then when he notices Anna approaching him, he's like, Anna signs and says, We're sorry about the TV. I see that you speak sign language. And then he says, you speak orangutan. (laughs) And then Anna says, she spells out her name, Anna. And then she's like, I'm fortunate to have an easy name to sign. And then Barsanti comes out and he's like, oh dear, I see that you've met Jupiter. Please never, ever, ever turn off the Great British Bake Off. And then Jupiter jumps onto the couch and he just starts watching. And Jim's like, I remember this episode. It's season three. They make fruit tarts. And then everyone's, like, raising eyebrows at Jim, and he's like, what? It's good TV! And so they must assume that Jupiter knows, like, a little bit of English because he scoots over and pats the seat next to him towards Jim, and then Jim, not wanting to, like, offend the orangutan, joins him and sits next to him on the couch. And then Luca laughs, and he's like, Made a friend already. That's good. Jupiter has watched each episode at least 20 times. I suppose it would be annoying if he didn't recreate the recipes for us. And then Elena points at him and he's like, so this is a lasagna guy? And suddenly she didn't sound anxious for dinner. And then Luke is like, he's much more than the lasagna guy. He can make almost anything. And he keeps trying to make me his sous chef, but I'm afraid the oven is one machine that I cannot master. And then he becomes all serious, and he's like, now, perhaps you should be telling us why you're here, because we weren't expecting your brother here for four years, and we weren't expecting you, well, at all. Like, something must have gone wrong for you to be here, the youngest Dakar sibling child. So, now she doesn't really want to explain everything, because if she has to explain everything, she has has to talk about Harding, Pencroft, and she has to talk about dev and she doesn't want to do that but she's saved when ophelia returns running in from the sick bay and she marches over to us and esther top and rise mara were at her heels and they're like the doctors again they're from orcas i think and ophelia is like pancreatic cancer he's a fool and then anna's like was a fool 
And then she's like, oh, no, no, he's still alive. Your friend Franklin's administering one of those experimental treatments right now. I just mean that he should have gotten help months ago. Like, what was he thinking, coming out here in this condition with a crew of freshmen? So, like, apparently, I guess, this is serious, I guess, but she knows, um, Dr. Hewitt. I mean, she knows his actual name, which is Theodosis. Is that even a name? Is that, is that even a name? Okay, I'm not going to care right now. So Top goes over to the couch and he sniffs Jupiter's toes. And then Jupiter just looks at the dog and pulls a cookie out of the pocket of his apron and gives it to Top. It says, another friendship is, has been secured. And Jim says, how about we sit and talk? And then Nalina's like, good idea. The rest of the crew can secure the Varana and maybe get themselves cleaned up. Right, Anna? And then Anna nods. And Ophelia's like, you could all probably use showers too. And then Anna's like, I guess after three days at sea, rationing our fresh water, the 20 of us don't smell so great. And then Ophelia, like, clicks, makes a clicking sound in her mouth, and two mechanical dragonflies buzz into the room. And she says, the drones will show your crew to your facilities. They'll also keep any naughty children from straying into restricted areas and getting themselves killed. And then Lucas says, I'll get the espresso and biscotti. I have a feeling we might need a pre-dinner pick-me-up. So chapter 28, it just kind of briefly explains that Anna and the rest of the crew are kind of explaining what happened at Harding Pencroft and what happened to the people there. And, you know, Anna obviously had to explain what happened to Dev because Dev was the one that they were expecting, but they weren't still weren't expecting him for another four years. When they finally finished the story, Luca and Ophelia kind of look at each other and like they don't seem surprised by anything that they t told them. And they kind of just look like they've been expecting this to happen. And then Ophelia says, Anna, I'm sorry. You deserved better from us. And then Anna said, what did I deserve? Maybe the truth? And then Lucas starts to say stuff in whatever language he was speaking before. Uh, I think it was Italian, maybe. And then Anna's like, why not? It seems pretty simple to me. Why did Dev have to keep secrets about where he knew? And why did Esther have to live with all her secrets? And then Ophelia or not Ophelia, Anna says, and do not tell me that the school was just trying to protect itself. And Ophelia says, no, Anna, the school was trying to protect itself. And then Luca sighs and he's like, Anna, when your parents died, Ophelia and I were here with them and we were part of their team. And then Anna's like, well, what happened to them? And then he said, the truth? We're still not sure. We should have been more careful, though. You understand, after four generations of Dakar searching, your father finally found this place, and your mother and he were determined to move forward. And then Anna's like, you mean to explore the wreck of the sub? And he's like, well, we tried to urge caution. Ophelia did, mostly, but after the accident, and then he kind of lowers his head and stopped talking. And then Nalina's like, do you blame yourself? You were friends. And Ophelia says, the four of us graduated together from Harding Pencroft. When Taryn and Sita died, some of the faculty at HP wanted to bring you and your brother here immediately for safekeeping, I guess. And Hewitt was one of those. But Luca's like, we do not agree. We thought that it was too dangerous, and it still is too dangerous. We wish that you both had more training, more years on life on the mainland before you had to face the legacy of Nemo. We didn't think Land Institute would ever risk such a broad attack and put you and Dev at risk, and you were simply too important. But now that your brother, and then his voice kind of cracks, and he's like, well, it seems we are wrong, and we're sorry. 
and she starts to remember what Caleb had said about Harding Pencroft. How many world problems could you coward to have solved if you had just shared? And Anna thinks to think, what if he was right? Is Harding Pencroft really so much better than Land Institute? And Ophelia's like, you really have no reason to trust us, but we're going to trust you, Anna. You're the last to car. Theodosius clearly thought you were capable, and you did manage to get your crew here to Lincoln Base. And then Lucas said, are you suggesting? And Ophelia said, yes, we've got to show Anna everything. Let her decide. And then Jim's voice crackles with excitement, and he's like, what exactly is everything? And he leans forward in his chair. <laughs> he wants to know about the weapons. And Ophelia's like, you understand that the alt-tech devices you've seen so far, the lighting guns, the dynamic camouflage, those are only pale imitations of Nemo's actual technology. And over the last century and a half, both HP and Land Institute have tried to recreate what Nemo did. And we've had a few other successes. The microwave, fiber optics, lasers, and nuclear fusion. And Nolan's like, the microwave? And then Ophelia's like, yes, one of Nemo's less dangerous inventions. And by the late 1940s, we felt it was safe enough to leak that technology to general public. And then Jim's like, hold on, nuclear fission? You're telling us that Captain Nemo had atomic bombs. And Ophelia smirks, and she's like, of course not. He would never have created such crass, clumsy ought weapons. But he did pioneer nuclear physics. Okay, yeah, that's no big deal. And Jim's like, okay, but that tech also led to nuclear power, cancer treatment, and long-range space exploration, right? Tech can be both good and bad. And then Luke is like, my boy, every time an alt-tech advance is leaked to the rest of the world, it's incredibly destabilizing. Nuclear fission is just one example. Can you imagine if we told the world that Nemo, Nemo knew the secret to cold fusion? And someone says, why would you not use that? You could literally revolutionize the world. And Ophelia is like, or destroy the world? Imagine a world government monopolizing that power. Even worse, a corporation. And then it says, sends a shiver down Anna's back, and she's like, you're saying that the secret to cold fusion is here on the base. And Luke is like, that secret and many others. But we cannot unlock them or study them, much less reproduce them, because Nemo keyed his masterpiece to his own family blood. Your blood. And then Anna's thinking, what do you mean by Nemo's masterpiece? You don't mean the base. You mean the Nautilus, right? And then they stay silent, and Anna's like, but it's a wreck. Like, she's seen pictures of the Titanic. Broken metal shell covered with rusty metal, slowly crumbling. And she's like, there can't be that much left. It was sitting on the bottom of the ocean for a century and a half. And Luke is like, no, your parents found the Nautilus intact. And tomorrow, we'll introduce you. But dude, they keep talking like this thing's alive. But anyway, to chapter 29. How to make 20 freshmen hyperactive. One, give them access to an espresso machine. Two, offer them a safe haven after 72 hours of running from death. Three, feed them a home-cooked meal made by an orangutan. And four, tell them that tomorrow they will get to see a make-believe submarine from the 1800s that's actually not make-believe. Uh, yep, that'll do it. And Luca insists that they don't talk about the Nautilus anymore until the morning. And Anna's just like, how could a submarine survive intact water, underwater, for over 150 years? That doesn't make any sense. Like, the Titanic is in pieces. How did this survive?
So now it's dinner time and everyone's kind of like spread out. There's only room enough for 10 people at the dinner table. And so everyone's kind of spread out, but like no one's brave enough to even try out Jupiter's tire swing. What after what happened with his Mary Berry cooking show. Then Jupiter comes along and he places a plate of lasagna in front of her and adds a salad and two slightly burnt pieces of garlic bread. And then he signs and points at Luca and says the bread was his fault. And then Anna signs, thank you. Ophelia says, um, anything Jupiter sees on the Great British Bake Off or any of his other cooking shows, we can simulate with sea plant products. The orangutan keeps us on our toes. So then Jim tries to start a conversation and he says, so you said that you both went to Harding Pencroft. And Luca's like, like my father and his father and his father before him. And he's like, in my senior year, I was a cephalopod captain. And then a few cephalopods are, like, pumping their fists into the air, and they're like, yes. And then Ophelia's like, that same year, I was orca captain, and I also completed shark coursework. And then everyone kind of looked at her. Like, and it says, graduating from two houses is not unheard of, but it's also extremely difficult, and it nearly doubles your workload. To be house captain and complete coursework for another house, that's, like, unbelievable in their eyes. And not to mention that sharks and orcas are generally considered exact opposites. Sharks are more like frontline fighters, tacticians, weapon specialists, commanders. And orcas are more like medics, community builders, support personnel. Like one kind of builds up, one kind of tears down. And they're like exact opposites. And then Jim's like, so, uh, wow. Ophelia, so you had Tarn Decur as your shark captain? And then she's like, indeed, and Sita was my best friend, and I taught her everything she knew about terrorizing our younger classmates. And then Luca said, you also terrorized me too. Heh, <laughs> poor Luca. No one cares about him <laughs> at the moment. And Ophelia says, well, if we're done eating, perhaps our guests can help us clean up. Jupiter does the cooking, but he does not do the dishes. And they head back to the rooms that they're staying in. It's just like a room with um, two sets of bunk beds. So four people can fit in a room. So, of course, Anna, Nalena, and Esther take a room, and they go, and it's just a simple stone chamber with bunk beds and not much else. And Anna says, I try not to dwell on how much it looks like a holding cell. For the first time since leaving HP, I sleep in a room that doesn't rock and sway. So, chapter 30, Anna wakes up, checks her dive watch, it's 5.30, and she knows she's not going to be able to go back to sleep, because, again, she's used to waking up at 5.30 to go swimming. And so she slips out of bed and thinks or like is going to go and try to go swimming. And she encounters no one as she walks through the main room. And the Verana is still resting dark and silent at her moorings outside. So she plunges into the water and eventually she finds Socrates. And they swim together until it's daylight outside. And she pads back into the base and she's feeling refreshed. Okay, that's good. That's what she's used to doing. And then she runs into Jupiter and he baked stuff. Croissants, muffins, and danishes. And as er, Anna says, this smells amazing. Can I have it? Can I help? And he's like, taste this. And then she tastes it. And it's pretty good. The orangutan can bake. The orangutan can bake. And then... Anna signs, delicious. Mary Berry would be proud. And then Jupiter calmly signs, I love you. And then he runs off to make more. And so she goes back to her bedroom where Esther and Nalina still are to go share some orangutan pastries with them. And then Esther says, I was thinking last night, 
You remember how I said that the Nautilus is dangerous? How I think that the Nautilus was actually what killed your parents? And Anna's no- Anna nods, and Esther says, I think I understand now. After listening to Luca and Ophelia talk last night, I don't think you should. But then someone knocks on the door, and Ophelia shows up, and she's like, All good, you're all up. And then Esther blushes and sits down, and Ophelia says, Ready? Are your friends going to come? And Anna's like, Uh. And Elena says, Yes, we're coming. And then Anna says, I'd like them to, if that's okay. And then Ophelia looks at them and says, very well, this way. And Anna asks if Luca's coming, and Ophelia says, he's already there. So they make this way down a corridor, and there's a metal hatch that reminds me of an old bank vault door. And Anna says, was, was this here before? I mean, in Nino's time? And Ophelia thinks, well, what makes you ask that? And Anna's just like, it just seems old, like really old. And Ophelia's like, very astute, Anna. From this point forward, we're going to be entering Nemo's original base. This door was sealed by Cyrus Harding shortly after Nemo's death, and it has remained shut until we evacuated it two years ago when your father opened it. And Esther's like, but the volcanic eruption destroyed the island. It said that in the mysterious island. And Ophelia's like, well, yes, but Harding and Pencroft may have stretched the truth a bit when they spoke to Jules Verne. Adventurers and treasure hunters were less likely to search for the island if they believed it had been obliterated. And Esther sounds offended when she say, so the book lied? And then Nalena's like looking around and she's like, what is that metal? It isn't steel or brass and it doesn't seem to corrode. And then Ophelia's like, ingenious, isn't it? For lack of a better term, we call it pneumonium. Okay, new type of metal. And Ophelia says, just be careful inside. I think it would help if you talk to it first, Esther says. And Anna's like, I don't really understand what she's trying to say. And Anna's like, talk to? And then Ophelia says, Anna, would you do the honors? So she gestures towards the vault door. And it has this massive gear plate in the middle with pistons radiating outward. Kind of looks like the spokes of a ship's wheel. So it's about the same size as a DNA reader. So she's like, me? And Ophelia says, well, I could do it. We were able to jury-rig the lock after your father for some of it, but since it's already keyed to your DNA, it's still work. And she kind of waits. Like, Anna's like, is this some sort of a test or something? And she puts her hand against it, and it doesn't shock her this time, thankfully. And it kind of rotates, pistons retract, air hisses, like she's broken a vacuum seal, and the door doesn't move easily, but... It swings open, and Ophelia is like, before we proceed, please remain calm when we get inside, and it's best to avoid sudden movements and loud noises, especially you, Anna. Approaching the Nautilus should be quite safe. Luca and I are in and out of this cavern on a daily basis, and we've had no mishaps. Yet. But then Anna notes, but you're still worried, right? Because I'm the first car to approach the sub since the accident. And then Ophelia says, we've been working for two years to clean and repair the submarine systems as best as we could. And then Elena's like, hold on, you've been on board? It's still got systems left to clean? And then Ophelia's like, it's easiest to show you. Most of the sub's higher functions are dormant because, well, operating them requires a living Dakar. And then Esther's picking at her shirt and she's like, Anna, like I said, your parents' death wasn't an accident. The submarine killed them. And Anna's like, you're making it sound like it was on purpose. And Esther said, it must have been angry. It'd been sitting at the bottom of the ocean for 150 years. Nemo abandoned it. And then Ophelia said, Nemo died inside of it. Esther said, even worse, it didn't have anyone to maintain its systems. And then Anna's still confused. She's like, angry, abandoned. How can a submarine feel all? 
And then Anna's like, no, she figures it out. She's like, you can't be serious. And Ophelia says, yes, Nemo created a prototype of what we would call AI, artificial intelligence. The Nautilus? It's alive. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Reading by Flashlight. That kind of left on a little bit of a cliffhanger, but make sure to come back next week for chapters 31 through 35 in Daughter of the Deep by Rick Ryden. See you then!